The Moth Podcast is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. We all have a story to tell, and the Moss Education Program is looking to help young people tell their stories. High school students can develop their storytelling skills with the Moss Summer Story Lab. Join us for a free, one-week-long workshop where you'll learn the art and craft of sharing your own story. From brainstorming to that final mic drop moment, we've got you covered. Plus, you'll make new friends, build skills that shine in school and beyond, and have a blast along the way. Whether it's at the family dinner table or a college essay starter, your story matters. Virtual and in-person options are available to fit your style. Workshops begin in August. Don't miss out. Sign up now and learn more today at themoth.org forward slash story lab. Apply by June 23rd. From PRX, this is the Moth Radio Hour. I'm your host and frequent moth storyteller, Alistair Bain. It's June, Gay Pride Month. Most Pride celebrations involve a rather fabulous parade that creates visibility, community, and support. In this hour, a mini Pride parade of LGBTQI plus stories from around the world. I'm from the Eastern Shawnee tribe of Oklahoma. Many indigenous nations here on this continent that we call Turtle Island have a long history of loving and respecting the people amongst us who express unique gender identities. It's an honor to celebrate pride with all of my relatives who are LGBTQI+, Two-Spirit, or however you choose to define your unique, beautiful, amazing self all of our families, friends, and allies, too. Let's get our Pride celebration started with our first story from Meg Farrell, told in New York City, where WNYC is a media partner of The Moth. Here's Meg. I wrote him a letter. I wrote my dad a letter because at that point, our relationship had been crumbling apart. And with each year, we became a little bit less us and a little bit more him and me. So I wrote him a letter and I told him, I'm gay. And I'm not telling you this just to tell you this. I'm telling you this because I don't know who you are anymore and you don't know who I am anymore. And what I really want is a relationship. We hadn't always been this way, but to understand this, you gotta understand, my dad's a bit of a complicated man, like most of the best people are. And he grew up in an outline of a family that never fleshed out into a full story. And he's a reclusive engineer. 
And when he remarried my stepmom, they moved off into 163 acres in the middle of nowhere in North Carolina, his little slice of heaven. But when we were young, when I was young, I don't know about him, when I was young, it wasn't this distant. I was his shadow. I played the perfect doting kid. My dad was the smartest dad. He could tell you the name of any star pattern in the sky. And my dad was the strongest dad because one time our Dodge minivan broke down at an intersection and he pushed us to safety in a parking lot. I'd factored that to be three to four tons. <laughs> and my dad was the kindest dad because one time he pulled over and he ran through traffic on a highway to rescue a turtle that was stranded. And so I played the doting kid, and he played the parent. In seventh grade, he built me a motorcycle, and he paved a figure eight in a field, and he let me speed through it, top three miles. I was always a cautious kid. <laughs> and he taught me how to hit a bullseye from 50 feet away with a bullet or an arrow. And he taught me how to properly chop and store wood. This might sound like survival training, but it was bonding, because this was just something that we did. He didn't build my sister a motorcycle. He didn't shoot at targets with my stepmom, and he certainly didn't teach the dog to chop wood. <laughs> so I wrote him a letter, and I said, I want us back. I want this relationship back. And I mailed it to him. And a week later, my stepmom got it, and she called me, and she said, this is great. Not that I'm gay, but that I wanted a relationship. And she's like, your dad's not here. He'll call you the second he gets back. A week later, he called me. And 10 second phone call, he said, I love you, and we'll talk about this next week when you come to visit. And we never ever talked about it again. And so once again, I acted like the kid. I took the role of the kid, and I got so mad. Because even though I was 23, and I was really secure that I was an adult, like even more secure than I am now. Because <laughs> like, as you get older, you start to realize all the complications with being an adult, and it starts moving further away from you. But that time I played the kid and I played mad and angry and hurt and I vowed to myself, because I'm passive aggressive, <laughs> that I would never contact him again. And I didn't for 11 years. We had four times of contact during those years. My sister's graduation from law school, her bridal shower, when he called to tell me his mother died and when he called to tell me he had a massive heart attack. And then it happened. I couldn't play the kid role anymore. I'd asked my girlfriend to marry me, and we'd started talking about all these adult things. Wedding, marriage, kids, do we want kids? Should we have kids? Am I gonna be a good parent? All these things you think about as an adult. And I started thinking about parents, and I thought, is my dad gonna come to the wedding? Is he gonna walk me down the aisle? Is this stranger gonna attend one of the most intimate things of my life? And then I thought about roles, roles that we play. Sisters, parents, friends, mothers, some given to us and some we seek out. And I thought about my dad again, and I thought, maybe he was never meant to play the role of a parent. I mean, this was the 70s. Like, that's what you did. You got married, you had kids, you bought a house, you wore bell bottoms. <laughs> Any one of those could be a mistake. He wasn't given the freedom that I've been given to be me. And then I thought more, and I thought more about these roles, and I thought about 
with this new lens of being an adult, how I had come out to my dad. I came out to my dad four years after I'd come out to myself. And at best, I gave him a day, and at worst, I gave him a moment to react positively to something I had taken 1,460 days to process. Was that fair? So I invited him to my wedding. And he sat next to my stepdad, who never was good at playing the stepdad role, because he was always a dad. And so there, two dads sat. And I walked down the aisle on my grandfather's arm, and I couldn't see anything but pride in both of their eyes. And yeah, maybe my dad was not meant to play the parrot role, but maybe he's playing the best he can. And maybe that's okay. And maybe because I'm okay with that, I'm a little bit closer to being an adult. That was Meg Farrell. To see a picture of Meg, her wife, and two kids, visit the moth org where you can also share this story. Meg is a Portland, Oregon-based storyteller, comedian, writer, and mom. She says that she's still working things out with her father, and now that she has kids, she understands how complicated it is to be a parent. Next, a storyteller from the London Moth Slam talking about his young adulthood in Nigeria. Here's Bisi Alimi. <laughs> so, this wouldn't be your, um, your usual first time. You know, it's not like the first time you had a keys or the first time... You had your prom party, or the first time you met your boyfriend or the girlfriend, but this was my special first time. I was 18, and two weeks before then, my friend came back and came to my house and informed me that they've been to this party and that I needed to be there. And I was like, what's it about? He said, well, you need to see for yourself. Before this time, I've practically experimented with being heterosexual. You know, I was 18, I was growing up. Everybody around me, I got a girlfriend. I think it was the coolest thing to do, so I need to have a girlfriend. <laughs> Despite the fact that for two years, I never did anything with my girlfriend. <laughs> the first time I kissed her, I, I had a feeling I actually passed out. <laughs> so it wasn't really like, it wasn't really my forte. So. When my friend asks us to say, okay, you need to be at this party, they know I need to be at that party because they knew quite well the secret nobody knew. So it was fun. We went. I got dressed. They came to my house. We were excited. We took a cab, and we went to this party. Now, growing up in Nigeria isn't funny. And if ever you be damned that you have feeling for men, you're in trouble. So I had to deal with that fact by having girlfriends. So do you understand where my girlfriend thing come from and why I couldn't kiss a girl? And, and so we, we went and we got there. And lo and behold, we walked into this club. And the first person at the door 
I had no idea if he was a woman or if he was a man. I'd never heard of the word drag before. So I was a little bit confused. <laughs> and so there I was. And this big headgear, high heels, that does not really look like the kind of high heels women would wear. <laughs> so I was a little bit confused what was going on here. And, and I felt like, you know, I know my mom, she goes out every weekend to parties. I know my sisters, they don't really dress this over the top. <laughs> this must be some kind of different types of women. Oh, I am actually in a party with aliens. <laughs> and, and so we, we, we got in and I saw so many people amazingly dressed. And I was like, my God, where really am I? And then my friend turned to me and said, we've actually brought you to a gay party. I was like, gay? Do you think we don't know? And I was like, really? I've never been, you know, I've never seen this kind of party before. And he said, just relax, enjoy yourself, and you'll be fine. And there, the party started. And I saw for the first time, men kissing men. And I was like, wow, what's going on here? This is not right. This, this shouldn't be happening. And then, you know, in my, you know, in my quiet, how will I put it now, confused state, what passed me, this very cute guy. And I think I had my gay moment just about that time. And I kind of looked at him and was like, wow. And my friend said, do you think he's hot? I said, well, he looks OK. And he said, don't worry. We'll get you some drinks. By the time you leave here, we'll know whether you're actually straight, gay, or a little bit confused. <laughs> so they, they got me drinking. And possibly 30 minutes into my second drink, I was kissing the guy. <laughs> and um, it wasn't long. I was dancing on the table. <laughs> and I did not actually stop there. I found myself on the table dancing with a drag queen. <laughs> now, when I came in, I was straight. When I got there, I was a bit confused. Because I have no idea, okay, what really... Um, by the time we were leaving at 4 a.m., I was as gay as gay can be. <laughs> but the most important thing that happened to me that night was the fact that I crossed the Rubicon. I stopped lying to myself. I stopped trying to kiss girls. I stopped deceiving girls. And I started being real to myself. That actually... I can be gay, and I can, be, I can be proud of who I am. And I never looked back since then. Thank you very much. That was B.C. Anini. He is a renowned researcher, public speaker, and community builder. Alimi was the first Nigerian to come out on national television, which led to threats on his life. He moved to the United Kingdom and has been fighting for social change ever since. I'm grateful to leaders like BC, who have worked tirelessly to advance the rights of people around the world. To see pictures of BC Alimi, go to themoth.org, where you can also share this story. When we return, more fabulous pride stories two of them from our high school slams when the Moth Radio Hour continues. Hi, 
Moth Radio Hour is produced by Atlantic Public Media in Woods Hole, Massachusetts, and presented by PRX. Support for The Moth comes from Odoo. What is Odoo? Well, Odoo is the only software your business will ever need. Featuring a suite of integrated business applications, Odoo connects your business operations together so that you can get more done in less time. Odoo has apps for everything. CRM, accounting, sales, HR, inventory, marketing, manufacturing, you name it, Odoo's got it. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash moth. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash moth. For over a century, Brooks has been propelled by a never-ending curiosity with how humans move. It drives their every decision and every innovation because they believe movement is the key to feeling more alive. And we're all moving towards something. It could be to run a 5K and raise money for a cause you believe in, to take the lead on your family's annual Thanksgiving Day hike, or, for me, I love how clear my head feels after a long run. But living in Brooklyn means I'm running on cement, so my head feels great, but my knees, not so much. That's why I'm so happy to have the cushioning of the Brooks Ghost Max shoes that let me go a little bit further and feel a little bit clearer. And with my new reflective run visible vest, I can chase this high before the sun is even up and kickstart my day. So let's run there with gear and experiences specifically designed to take you to that place, whether it's a headspace, a feeling, or a finish line. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. This is the Moth Radio Hour from PRX. I'm Alistair Bain. Next up, two stories from the Moth's high school program where we send instructors into the classrooms to help students find the best ways to craft and present personal stories. Hearing stories from the next generation of the LGBTQI community made me think back to my first Pride Parade. It was in a small Midwestern college town in the 1980s. I believe there were 12 of us in that parade. I was the goth kid who was not on board with wearing all of those bright rainbow colors, but nonetheless proud in a more subdued, androgynous, vampire kind of way. We were outnumbered by counter-protesters two to one, but we marched past all 24 of them, and afterwards, the parade committee, which consisted of one guy named Paul, thanked us for our bravery with a barbecue in his backyard. This next story is about a much bigger Pride celebration in New York City. It comes from Bethany Sintron, who told it at the New York High School Grand Slam. Here's Bethany. I'm a little nervous, I'm gonna be honest. Um, um, So I was a 15-year-old bisexual feminist who was figuring out who she was. Um, I was always open about who I was, so if anybody asked, I was straight up and I told them. Uh, but, like, I never really felt like I had this space to sort of be who I was. It was always, like, sort of suppressed and just very, like, minor. Um, and I remember telling people, and they always gave me this look, like, well, you don't look gay. And I never really knew what that means. Like, what does it mean to look gay? But, um, I, I remember finding out about the Pride Parade in New York. For those who don't know what the Pride Parade is, it, cel- it celebrates the LGBTQ community. And 
I remember finding out about it and I was so happy. I was like, here's my space. I'm going to go there and I'm going to have so much fun. It looked great. Like it's one of the biggest um, pride parades in uh, the U.S. So it was just, I was so excited to get there. And I, um, so I remember trying to get there, but like every, something coincidental will always happen. Like it would just start raining and my mom was like, you're not going to go outside. You're going to get sick. Or it was my cousin's like graduation party and like we had to like throw him a party. We didn't even get him any cake, which kind of sucks. So I was there like for what? Um, and we also, or like my friends didn't want to go with me. So like I would have to go alone, like whatever friends they like ended up not going. So I was like, I didn't want to go alone. I was too nervous. Um, so I ended up not going and it just didn't, it didn't seem year after year. It didn't seem like I was going to be able to get there. Uh, in junior year, I joined the Gay Straight Alliance in my school, and I ended up becoming president of it. And I, as president, I proposed that we should go to the Pride Parade together. And it was just like, I was like, oh, yeah, we just go together. It's going to be great. We're all going to have fun. Like, it's funded by school, whatever. Um, so I, everyone was like, yeah, let's go. And we created group chats. We had, like, messages. We had uh, Facebook events. And it just seemed like it was going to happen. Like, I was ready to, I was ready to go. And for it's like the Pride Parade is in June, so like April came up, May came up, and then finally it was June, and all of us were like super excited. June 25th was our day. And I remember June 12th, I was sitting in my room, and it was, um, my dad always used to pay, um, play the news in the living room, and uh, it would just be playing, and I would be listening, not really listening, but kind of just in the back of my mind, and I remember hearing like a live report in Florida. So I got up and went to listen to it with my dad. And I saw that it was the Pulse nightclub shooting. It was a gay nightclub in Florida and 49 people were killed in a hate crime. And I just remembered feeling terrible. Like we're so close to this date and someone like just goes and kills people in cold blood and I just felt horrible um and I already knew what was going to happen this was going to be my thing this thing that was going to prevent me from getting to the pride parade so I went through my the next few days I went through my messages and my Facebook events and people were dropping out it switched from going to not going people were like oh something came up or uh, my mom said I can't go anymore or um, some just flat out said like I'm not going because I'm afraid it might happen here what if someone uses that as motivation to attack um, the biggest pride parade in America and I just it was it was again I wasn't gonna go and I felt so disappointed because I knew that I was gonna go away for college I wouldn't be in New York so I was gonna miss this event and I I just it was just another year of me not going and I went to my mom because my mom is my best friend and I told her like uh I was just crying to her and I was like mom I like feel terrible I just really wanted to go and this was I'm not gonna go and I'm just so frustrated Jesus relax. If no one's going to go, I'll go with you because no one's going to prevent you from loving who you love. And it was set. Uh, June 25th, it was me, my mom, and my three close friends, and we were on the train going to the Pride Parade. We watched the colors of the, the dull colors of like just the streets in the city transform into like these magical rainbow colors. And there was like people boarding and they had like rainbow outfits, like crazy outfits, like frilly, like puffy, everything. And it looked, it was just great. They were making their own way to the Pride Parade. So I was getting more and more excited getting there. And I remember we got to the streets of Manhattan and it was packed. Like there was, 
it was like impossible. Like there was bars everywhere. You would have to walk three blocks down just to get to the block that you were like right by. Um, and it was like, I remember going from, I had my own like rainbow outfit. I had like a, a rainbow star trooper shirt. I had a flag that I wrapped around my neck, like a cape that I bought for like $15, which I realize now is really expensive for a flag. Um, I had a rainbow bandana and it was just like, I was so excited. I went from the back of the crowd to the middle of the crowd to the front of the crowd. Next thing I know, like I'm giving high fives to people in the parade. I'm seeing like all these big floats. I'm getting like stickers and fans and it was just like great. I was having so much fun and I just wanted to scream like take that homophobia. And I remember taking a whole bunch of pictures on my way back from the, um, from the pride parade. I was on the train and I was looking over at the videos and the pictures and I saw like, this whole idea of looking gay. There were so many different kinds of like body types, hair types, like everything, skin color. And I just realized that there was no particular way to look gay physically. Looking gay was showing like support for what you believe in, showing support for your friends, uh, showing just like being there and being confident in your identity. And I realized that that day we were all proud to look gay. Thank you. That was Bethany Centron. Bethany said that she made wonderful friends at that first Pride Parade, and they've met up each year since. She's looking forward to when they can all gather at Pride again. Since telling the story, she graduated from DePaul University. Congratulations, Bethany. Next up is Jake Haller. He was also part of a high school workshop. This story was told while under quarantine on Zoom, so you won't hear any audience reaction, but there was lots of love and applause when he first told it to a room full of people. Here's Jake. Hello. Um, so when I was younger, explaining myself was very common. And... I hated that. When little kids came up to me on the playground and asked me, are you a boy or a girl? I just ran away. It was a mix of not knowing how to answer this question and not wanting to answer this question. When they asked me if I was a boy or a girl, I didn't know how to explain to them that I was a little girl that liked, liked Tinkerbell when all the other girls liked, liked Peter Pan. I didn't know how to explain to them that I had a boy side of the closet and a girl side and I picked every morning what I wanted to be. I didn't know how to explain to them that when they called me little boy, I like how it felt, but I needed to correct them and they needed to call me little girl. When I ran from these questions, I just wanted to be me. And I did that for a while. But one day I was walking home from sixth grade and I walked into my house and Alex was sitting on my bed, on my couch. And Alex was my sister's, sister Nanda's friend from high school. And he was just automatically cool just because he was in high school, but it was even cooler when I sat down on the couch with him and we talked about skateboarding 
and my likes and dislikes. And he really found interest in me and I just felt amazing. But when Alex left that night and Ananda asked me how I liked him when I thought, of course I told her he was awesome, but she continued to explain to me that Alex was born a girl and Alex lives fully now as a boy and she explained to me what this word meant and she explained this word transgender to me. As soon as she told me what was possible, I grabbed the word and took it. Fireworks went off in my head that instant and I realized what was possible. I found this word that might just be the answer to all the people's questions. I found the word that finally described me. So I grabbed this word and ran to my room and only one night of that word bouncing around in my head, I knew it was mine. You see, it's different for everybody. Some people find the word and then find themselves. Some people find themselves and then they find the word. But for me, I just needed that word and I needed that push and I need the right moment to tell the world. And this was it. So the next morning I barged into my sister's room and told her I'm like Alex. I told her that I wanted to live as a boy. I told her I wanted to go by he, him pronouns. And Ananda grabbed me and hugged me and embraced me. And she told me she loved me. And I told her that I couldn't wait any longer and needed to tell my mom that night. So she sat me on her bed and we got everything in order. We made a list of names. We made a list of next steps. We did research. And in that moment, my heart was so full because I knew we were building me to be the person I was always meant to be. I knew these were big steps in my life. So as that night came along, I grabbed Ananda's hand and marched down the stairs. And I sat at my mom's desk and Ananda sat right down next to me. And I looked in my mom's eyes and I told her, I'm transgender. I wanna go by he, him pronouns. I wanna use the name Jake. And in that moment, I looked in my mom's eyes and of course I expected fear. I expected her to be caught off guard, but I looked in her eyes and all I saw was pure love. I saw a mother looking at her son and all the memories came flooding back to me. I remembered her every now and then checking in on me and asking how I felt in my body. I remember all the conversations about the LGBTQ community and how she would constantly tell me it's okay for everybody to be who they are. I just felt pure love in that moment and I knew that that was my label. But my experience with that label and that word transgender did not stop there. As I grew up and as I got more settled with myself as a trans man, I found myself hiding. It felt like I was right back on the playground. I felt the need 
to prove myself as a man so much I was hiding myself. And that's how I felt until very recently. But I took a step back and I thought about all my experiences and I realized I love the feminine parts of me. I love my experience as a little girl. I've loved my experience as a trans boy. Those experiences have made me the strongest man I could be because I had the strength to do that. I love that I'm not your normal man. And I love that women have made me the man I am today. I love and I hate the word transgender because I love it for helping me, but I hate it because it's not the only thing that defines me. I am who I am and my label is not a box. Thank you. That was Jake Haller. And this applause came from when he first told it live because we wanted him to hear it. To see an incredibly cute picture of Jake as a toddler with his two sisters, visit themoth.org, where you can also download or share this story or any of the stories you've heard this hour. Over the years, I've enjoyed hearing stories from my friends about their journeys to define identity. I've found that each person's path is unique, but happily, many of us arrive at the same destination of learning to love ourselves. Growing up, it seemed like people had a lot of questions about my identity. Was I a boy or a girl, gay or straight, and what was my ethnicity or race? Trying to answer with the check only one box on this form, please, type of responses that people seem to want was like trying to achieve a KOTOR fit shopping suits on a clearance rack. In my late 20s, I began thinking more about my identity as an Eastern Shawnee person. I began connecting with the urban Indian community where I lived. In the larger society, I was used to always being an outsider, but as I began hanging out in the Native community, I was surprised that people seemed to want me around, and I made good friends who taught me so much. There was an elder in the community that used to always call me grandson, and one day he asked me to help him run some errands. Afterwards, he invited me to go have a meal at our favorite diner, and as we ate, he began to talk about people from his tribe who were not man or woman, but their own unique gender and how they have been respected and loved as warriors, healers, leaders, and artists, both in the past and still today by people who know traditional ways. When he finished telling me all of this, he paused and then said, I see who you are. The tone of his voice made me believe he did truly see me and saw me with love and respect. It was a new, extraordinary feeling, and it encouraged me to heal and grow and learn to love myself and others in the years since. My hope for each and every one of you is that you find a space in which you feel nurtured and love for exactly who you are.
so that all of the talents and gifts you bring to this world can blossom. When we return, our final story from a Portland, Oregon legend, a drag performer who's been at it for almost 60 years. That's next on the Moth Radio Hour. Radio Hour is produced by Atlantic Public Media in Woods Hole, Massachusetts, and presented by PRX. You're listening to the Moth Radio Hour from PRX. I'm Alastair Bain. Our last storyteller is someone I consider to be an elder of the LGBTQI plus community. He has a career as a female impersonator and cabaret owner that spans over six decades. Here is Mr. Walter Cole, a.k.a. Darcel, at the age of 90, telling his story in Portland, Oregon, where we partnered with Literary Arts. Here's Walter. Roxy invited me to a masquerade party. He said, you will go in drag and I will paint you. Okay. I went to his apartment. I walked in, and Max Factor had spilled all his makeup all over this table. All the colors of the rainbow, sponges, Q-tips, brushes, ready for me. He said, sit down, and I'll put the base on. He rubbed me so hard. He said, stop. I said, stop. It, It hurts. He said, I'm getting rid of your wrinkles. I don't have wrinkles. He finished, he said, now close your eyes, open your eyes, look left, look right. He's putting paintbrush all over my face. He said, now open your mouth. Okay, put your lips together. You're finished except for the eyelashes. I've got eyelashes. Not like these. <laughs> he picked, those, Liza Minnelli would kill for those lashes. Put them on. He said, you're ready and you look gorgeous. He handed me a pair of uh, fishnet hose, you know, with the holes in them. A French cut that cut clear up to here, but ruffles in the back. I swear it was a three-foot wig, black wig with roses in it. He put the wig on. He said, you are now a flamingo dancer. I felt fun. It was fun. Here I was. 37 years old in my very first dress. We went to the Hoyt Hotel. I got in the car, but I I had to take my wig off because it wouldn't fit. I had it in my lap the whole time. We got out of the car, and I quickly put my wig on, and I walked in that hotel ballroom like a peacock, proud and happy, and very, very sure I was absolutely looking fabulous. <laughs> and I walked to the, on the wall, a, 
floor-length mirror. I stopped, I took a look, and I said, Walter, what the hell have you done? <laughs> that was a long cry from a little kid who was called Sissy Boy in Linton, Oregon, and bullied by everybody in school. I went to Lincoln grade school, Lincoln High School, and I met a wonderful gal named Jean. We dated through high school. We graduated at the same time in 1950. And in the 50s, if you uh, had money when you graduated from high school, you went to college. If you had no money, <laughs> you got married. <laughs> we got married. We got married in the First Presbyterian Church, and Jean lost her mother when she was a child, and I lost my mother when I was 11 years old. After the reception, we took all the flowers over to the graves of our mothers. We started a life, a normal life. We did all the traditional things. I worked, she worked. We bought a house. I went into the military, came back. We had our son, first son. Our son was born 1955, Walter. And my daughter, two years later, Meredith. I did it all right. I thought I was happy. And then I felt, no, I am not happy because I'm lying and cheating to the woman I love. One afternoon at the children in school, I sat her down. I said, Jean, I'm a queer. I like men. She said, why didn't you tell me this years ago? And I said, because I wanted to be normal. I wanted to be normal, live a normal life. But I, it's impossible. I didn't leave the house because I didn't want to leave my children. One evening, I walked into a bar called Doll and Penny on Third Avenue. And at the bar was a handsome young man with a smile from ear to ear. I went over, I put my hand on his knee and said, I'm Walter and I have a bar down the street. He said he was Roxy and he worked at the Hoyt Hotel. I said, when are your shows? He said, every night, five nights a week, eight o'clock. I'll be there tomorrow. He said, oh sure. Well, I was there the next day. In fact, I was the next day for three months. We had a coffee after the show I took him home, we talked, I took him home, drove him home, and, and, and for three months this happened because I knew, I knew that this was, I wanted something more than being, to be a, a one night stand. I knew that this man is the man I wanted to be with for the rest of my life. 
I left the home. I left my home. Roxy and I got an apartment. I told Jean the whole story. And we, we did wonderful things together. And he worked at the Hoyt Hotel. But the Hoyt Hotel closed. And he had no job. So I'd come over to the bar with me. And we'll work. you can work with me. He came over. He said, let's put a show on. I said, what kind of a show? He said, a drag show. I said, okay, but it's not going to take me two hours to put the makeup on like the last time. <laughs> we didn't have a stage. We used a four by eight banquet table <laughs> with a home stereo system. And our spotlight, it wasn't really a spotlight. It was a slide projector on top of the popcorn machine. Roxy did, did, uh, Roxy did VD polka on roller skates on that table and didn't fall off. <laughs> a drag queen joined us, Tina Sandell. She could do Proud Mary better than Tina could do it. <laughs> I did Barbara Streisand. Of course, we all did Barbara Streisand. <laughs> <laughs> Roxy said, you're going to have to have a name if we're going to keep this up. I said, well, how about, uh, uh, find one. I don't, don't, you don't want to call me Walter anymore on stage? No, you got to have a stage name. So he said, I, well, you, your dress is too gaudy. You've got too much jewelry on, too much makeup, and too much blonde hair. You can't be a Mary and Alice. <laughs> I think you should be French. He worked with, with uh, Denise Darcel in Vegas. He said, Darcel, not Dennis, Darcel. So we added a couple letters to it, and I stuck with me, Darcel. <laughs> One night, a, a reporter from Willamette Week came to see our show. She wrote an article with pictures about the best kept secret in Portland, Oregon. That was it, the doors opened. And we were doing shows to the world. One afternoon, Roxy and I were walking downtown and, and we met Jean and Meredith my wife and my daughter. I didn't know how this was going to go, and I got really scared, and I took a deep breath and cordial conversation for a while, and we parted. Three weeks later, three weeks later, Meredith called me and said, your mom, mom wants, to invite you, wants you to invite Roxy to Thanksgiving dinner. I was getting my family back getting my family back. Jean, my family was back. I had Roxy, and we were doing our shows. Had I not told Jean my secret, 
Had I not found Roxy, I would have never, I would not be doing six shows a week at 87, 88 years old. <laughs> As a matter of fact, there wouldn't have been a Darcel. Roxy died October last, but we had 47 years together of much happiness. Thank you. That was Walter Cole, a.k.a. Darcel. Recently, I was able to speak with Walter from his home in Portland, Oregon. How is the relationship with your family today? Um, you became friends, or your wife became friends. We're, yes, with my family, my immediate family. We couldn't love each other any more than we do. I mean, we travel together, we... In fact, we, my great-grandson was a year old Sunday, and we had a party at, the, at, at my granddaughter's house. And, and all of the son-in-laws and the grandchildren-in-laws, and we just love each other. And they come to the show a lot. I think they're very proud. That's wonderful, and I just love Darcel. And I'd like to know how you feel when you are on stage as Darcel. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm very privileged that I can still go on stage. I have difficult walking, but I have a, a rhinestone walker. It's just beautiful. <laughs> you know, and you know, and it also lights up. Ah, that's wonderful. Darcel has become a legend not only in Portland but across the world. And what's your relationship like with Darcel? How would you describe her if somebody? wanted you to tell them who Darcel is. Overjeweled, overpainted, uh, oh, uh, hairdo for days, and hopefully a snappy wit. <laughs> and so what are Darcel's plans for the future as things open back up? I'm 90 years old. My plans for the future are tomorrow. <laughs> 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 or just afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you one thing, you have to be happy. You have if you're not happy with your job, with your co companions, with your family, if you're not happy, what's the sense? We go we'll go through this life one time. I wouldn't change one day of my life for 90 years. Not one day. And before we end, I'd like to ask, does Darcel have any tips for us on fashion, life, anything else? Be who you are. Find out who you are and go for it. That was Walter Cole. How have you celebrated Pride so far this month? 
perhaps this hour has been the only chance you've had, and I'm glad you could join us. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter how you celebrate pride. It only matters that you remember to carry that sense of pride and love for who you are with you throughout the year. That's it for this episode of the Moth Radio Hour. We hope you'll join us next time. And that's the story from the Moth. This episode of the Moth Radio Hour was produced by me, Jay Allison, Catherine Burns, Jennifer Hickson, and Alistair Bain, a regular moth storyteller and writer from Denver. Alistair also hosted the show. Co-producer, Vicki Merrick, and associate producer, Emily Couch. The stories were directed by Meg Bowles and Larry Rosen with additional education coaching by Catherine McCarthy. The rest of the Moth's leadership team includes Sarah Haberman, Sarah Austin Jeunesse, Kate Kellers, Jennifer Birmingham, Marina Kluche, Suzanne Rust, Brandon Grant, Inga Gladowski, Sarah Jane Johnson, and Aldi Kaza. Moth stories are true as remembered and affirmed by the storytellers. Our theme music is by The Drift. Other music in this hour from Chris Dirksen, Anat Cohen, Sister Sledge, Blue Dot Sessions, Michael Van Kroeker, Bill Frizzell, and Thelonious Monk. This hour was produced with funds from the National Endowment for the Arts. The Moth Radio Hour is produced by Atlantic Public Media in Woods Hole, Massachusetts, and presented by PRX. For more about our podcast, for information on pitching us your own story, and everything else, go to our website, themoth.org.